Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, just to start out, is it possible that I don't look like, as much like Matthew McConaughey as I think I do? I'm not sure what to take from that. Um, Shrek here, I've always thought I looked like Matthew McConaughey, and I, I don't know, I, I don't know. Anyway, anyway, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just being smart. It is wonderful to be here with you this morning. Um, we actually have a lot to go through, so I am going to talk fast, um, and hopefully you'll listen fast, and hopefully we'll get through it all, um, because you guys have places to go, people to go and see, open houses to get to because you're looking to buy a house. Maybe not, but this is an open house moment for you right here this morning, and we are so happy that you are here with us. We want to, as, as Pastor Jeff said, we want to open up, we want to allow people to see what it is that we are looking at, what it is that Bridgewater is about, and this open house series is all about that. Hopefully it's given you a good look, a good idea as to what Bridgewater as a church is trying to do. Week one, we looked at the idea of what, what is the mission. The mission is found right from uh, Matthew chapter 28, right? Go and make disciples. That is the process as to what we are to be doing as a church. We are to be in the process of making disciples. While we are going about our living, we are in the pro- to be in the process of baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are to be in the process of teaching them to obey. To obey what? Remember week one? It was all that Jesus had commanded them. What, what, did Jesus had command- what was one of the things Jesus had commanded them? Love one another. And then the New Testament, the writings of Paul go forward to explain that more and more to us. So the idea of Bridgewater is what? We want to be in the process of making more and better disciples of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So that's what we want the foundation to be. Last week we looked at the idea of the front porch. And the front porch being that place where people come together, they may gather, they may be walking by. As a matter of fact, if you are looking at a house, if you are interested in a house, that front porch might be what catches your eye or that front porch may be what makes you say, we're going to keep looking, all right? And Sunday morning services here, that's what these are designed for, all right? The Sunday morning service at Bridgewater is designed with that idea that we want people to come, feel free to come in and take a look and see what Bridgewater is about, see what Bridgewater as a church is. And some of the things that we've tried to do, we've tried to make it so that music is music that they may have heard, music that they're familiar with. Right? We try to make it so that dress, so that the way that you dress, it's comfortable. Feel free, come, come comfortable. Come dressed in something as hideous as jeans if you like. Come dressed wearing a t-shirt if you like. All right? But if you want to wear a suit and tie, you're welcome to do that as well. Um, we want you to be comfortable coming into church here on a Sunday morning. One of the things I'm reminded of, and, and this has to be reminded to me because I've grown up in church. I've, grown, I've gone to church probably... Well, let me help you out. I went to church before I was born, every week. Uh, some of you have, a, you have that as well. You were in church every week before you were born and every week since you were born. So going to church to me is not a very intimidating thing. When I go to church, what do I do? I look around and I see, oh, there's people that I can get to know and that I can say hello to. Not everybody's like that. Not everybody grew up in church. You see, some people, they had bad experiences in church and they didn't want to go back right? Some people, they've heard things about church, and they're like, I don't know. Those people are wacky in there. I want nothing to do with them. So the Sunday morning opportunity is an opportunity. We want people to come in. We want them to join with us. We want them to feel comfortable. That's the front porch environment. And then this morning, we are going to get to this idea of the living room and what we are talking about here. I'm just going to, I'll just, I'll just throw it right out there in case you fall asleep before the end. Not that any of you would. There's coffee available in the back. Go get it. 
All right, not that any of you would, but anyway, I just want you to know, we want you to join. We want you to be in a small group. Why do we want you to be in a small group? Because we believe that life is better connected, and we believe that if you get to know people here at church, you'll realize, okay, that group, they're really crazy, but these people over here, I can, I can kind of like them, all right? Um, and and that's, the, that's the way it works, right? There's some people that you'll connect with, and suddenly you'll find yourself doing life together with them, and you'll be encouraged by them. You'll be lifted up by them, and guess what? You'll be an encouragement to them and lifting them up in their life as well. One of the things that I've uh, tried to teach our kids, um, um, especially my oldest son, but it's true of the next two as well as they go away to, as they go away to school. My, my old, our oldest two, Debs and I, our oldest two are in college. Um, our youngest one is a senior in high school this year. But one of the things that, we want your, that you want your kids to know is you want your kids to know that there are people ahead of them that are there that are ready to help them out in life, right? For each one of us, there are people that have been where it is that you are looking to go, and there are people that are willing to help you out. And the other thing is you want them to realize, you want, right? You want them to realize there's people behind you. Guess what? There's people behind you that they need you, that you can be an encouragement to, that you can lift up, that you can bring along. Guess what? In a small group, that sort of thing can happen. All right, because in our living room, we can sit around and we can have conversations and we can meet and we can talk about things, about spiritual things in our lives. So this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a story from the Old Testament. And this is why I've got to go quick, because I've thrown this story in there. But I think that it's a great story to just hopefully, hopefully you'll see the point of it and getting people to realize that there are those around you that you can encourage. There are those ahead of you that can encourage you doing life together works well. And not all stories end and go like this story that we're going to look at here. But um, let, let's, just, let's just look right here. I just have a question for you as I start this. Have you ever, have you ever been on the edge of making a really bad decision? See, there you go. Exactly. For the record, I've never been there. So I don't know what it's like, right? I lie, but that's okay. No, no, no. Uh, uh, all right. Yes, we've been there. We've been on the edge of making a really bad decision. And can I tell you something about every bad decision that you've probably made? You were the one talking yourself into making it. You were giving yourself the reasons why we should do it. And all of a sudden, you're like, boy, that was really dumb. Ten years later, you're looking back. Ten minutes later, you're looking back. You're saying, what in the world was I thinking? Can I tell you, you're, we're in good company. One of the greatest characters, well, numerous characters throughout the Bible, all right, we're on the edge of making bad decisions. One of the greatest characters of our Bibles, David, is a man who was on the edge of making a terrible decision. First Samuel chapter 25 is a decision that we're going to look at here. He's on the edge of making a terrible decision. A lot of things that you know about David, you know about David and Goliath, we know about David and Bathsheba, and then we know that David was a king, and we know that David was a great king and all these things. This is one of those stories packed in the middle. It's packed after Goliath and before he becomes king. As a matter of fact, this story that we find here in 1 Samuel um, chapter 25, and I would encourage you, if you have your Bibles, you want to turn to 1 Samuel. If, uh, if you don't have your Bibles and you use your, and you use your device, you can open up your U version, whatever version it is that you have. The other thing is we're going to have most of the verses right up here on, on the screen for you as well. But I encourage you, because this is a story. We're not going to go through the whole thing. But if you like some stories, this is a great story. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 25 is a great story. And as I mentioned, it's, it's between. Daniel's already killed Goliath, so he's a hero. He's a folk hero. But um, 
He isn't king yet. As a matter of fact, at this point in his life, he's really more of a, he's more of a, he's more of an outlaw. He's running because Saul has been chasing him, because Saul knows that David's been anointed to be king, and yet Saul doesn't want David to be king. He wants his own son. He wants his own dynasty. So Saul is trying to catch. He is trying to kill David. He's nothing but a renegade running around with a group of men. And in the midst of this idea where David is out doing this, we get this story. In Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 25, it goes like this. Then David moved down into the desert of of Maon. And as we think about this, I want you to know that David is running, all right? He is running from the king. So he is running from Saul. Saul Saul has been seeking him. Saul is trying to kill him, all right? And that's the idea as to where we are. And a certain man of Maon um, who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had had 1,000 goats and 3,000 sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband, a Calebite, was surely and mean in his dealings. All right, how many of you, uh, how many of you are familiar with this story? You're like, yeah, I, I kind of remember this one. I've heard this one before. All right, I, I remember this one there. All right, some of you may, some of you may, I, I'm not as familiar with this one. All right, it's not one of the ones that we are always familiar with, but it is a story that is here, and it's one about David and the decision that he's ready to make. Here are the characters that we're introduced to, right? Nabal and, um, and his wife, Abigail. And what are we told? She was intelligent, beautiful. He wasn't a very nice guy. He wasn't pleasant to deal with. When David was in the desert, the verse continues on, while David was in the desert, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent 10 young men and said to them, go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. One of the things that we need to know is sheep shearing season Notice I had to slow that way down because I certainly can't say that quickly, all right? Is a good time if you are a shepherd, all right? As a matter of fact, if you are shearing 3,000 sheep, from what I understand, it's indicating that you are rather wealthy. And this is a point in time where you're going to recognize some of that wealth. It's cashing in. It's taking that stock that has been growing and it's cashing it in now. And now we're going to have some wealth. We're going to have some money. So it is at a festive time. It is at a time when he's counting his cash, so to say, and looking around saying, "Woo, we're doing all right here. All right. And this is what David wants them to say when they go up. Say to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now, I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. And your own servants, all right, if you want to continue on, ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my young men since we came at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. And they waited. And Nabal responded. And Nabal's response was a response that I'm just going to kind of, I'm just going to kind of paraphrase it for you. Um, and, and the paraphrase is this. Nabal said, who is David. There's all sorts of renegades that are running around trying to get away from the king, trying to become their own person, trying to become his own big man. Who's David? And why do I owe him anything? 
No, you send message back to David, go pound sand, I'm giving him nothing. All right, now what, what we need to know about this story right here is that while they are out there, all right, in the desert, the shepherds are around all these sheep and around all of his herd of everything, What's David, what David is saying is that they protected them. As a matter of fact, a little bit later in the passage, one of the servants is going to tell Abigail, Nabal's wife, that, hey, they did. They served as a wall around us. They protected us. They kept people from coming and robbing us and taking from us. They were good to us. So the men take this report back to David. And they go back and they say, uh, David, it didn't go so well. Um, he's not going to send any food down. He's not going to take care of us in any way. Remember, David is running, and he is running with a group of men. And guess what? They need supplies. They need food to feed their men. And as a group of renegades, as they were, it, wouldn't have not, it would not have been um, abnormal for them to have attacked this group and said, hey, we're going to take what we want from you shepherds. What are you going to do? You're going to stop us? Try it. But he hadn't done that. So David, a little bit later in verse 13, David says this. He continues on. He says, David said to his men, this is after the men get back with that report, and he says this, put on your swords. So they put on their swords, and David put on his. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. Now, get that picture in your mind that 400 men are going with David, and we are going to go attack this guy. He has no chance. He's going to be destroyed. And David's making a point. 400 men, do you really think that's necessary, David? You're going to go down and attack this guy? I mean, certainly he has his servants and his people around him, but he is no match for that. The, verse, uh, the passage continues on in verse 14. One of the servants back at Nabal's house, back there at home, one of the servants told Nabal's wife, Abigail, what had happened. And that servant came through, and, and they, informed, they called Abigail and said, Listen, Abigail, some of David's men came, and they asked for some of the supplies. They asked for some of the food. They asked for some of what we had. And your, and your master, Nabal, he, your husband, he was not nice to them. He was unkind, and he sent them away. And I want you to know, I think trouble is coming. Trouble is on the way. Abigail responds quickly, and what does she do? She gets together a whole group of food. As a matter of fact, I'd encourage, as, I, as I said before, I want to encourage you to read the entire story so they can see what this. But she gets all this food together. She gets some. She gets some of the sheep. She gets them together and, and carries and gets them ready to be um, ready to be served, ready to be fed to them. All right, so that they can be taken care of and eaten. She gives them all sorts of bread, all sorts of figs, all sorts of supplies. Loads them up, has the servants load them up on donkeys, and Abigail gets on there and she says, "Let's head out and find them." And they head out, and they're going out through the desert, and they're looking for where these men are. We want to go locate them. We want to deliver this to them. Why? Because the report of the servant was, I think we're in trouble. And we know from reading the story that they are in trouble. David's got 400 men with their swords on there saying, look, we're coming right for you. And as they go through this area, they suddenly run into Abigail. And when they run into Abigail, Abigail comes up to David. And she uses some of the best language. I would encourage you, like I said, read the passage. It is funny. But um, she uses some of the language. My Lord, well, let, me, let me provide you some food. I'm sorry I wasn't there to hear the request. If I heard the request, I would have responded differently, and we would have given you food right away. My, my husband, he, he's not thinking at this point right now. He's not really thinking well. Let me, let me just bring you some food. Here are some supplies. You, you know, you know, David, 
you're going to be king someday. This is, this is a loose paraphrase of what she says. You're going to be king someday. We all know that. We're aware that you're going to be king someday. And, and you wouldn't want something like a massacre like this on your hands now, would you? You wouldn't want something bad like this to have happened and something like this to be able to be said about you as king. This is what I did. Right? That's how she walks through with David, and she references him as master. She references him as, as her Lord, and she's, and she's building him up, and she's saying all these things to him, delivering all this food to him. And David said this to Abigail near the end of the story. David said to Abigail, to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. That's what David said to her. In the story of Abigail, David and Abigail, Abigail stepping in and coming down and saying, David, you're about to make a really dumb decision. You're about to do something that's really stupid and I just want you to know, I just want to step in and I want to stop what is going to take place. If, if you read the rest of the story, and let me just give it to you. Quickly, Abigail goes back home. Her husband doesn't know that she's done this. She goes back home. Her husband is actually having a party, and he's in a rather festive mood, and he's, he's uh, intoxicated. And Abigail says, well, I'll wait until tomorrow to tell him. And she tells him the next day. And when she tells him the story the next day that she's gone out and delivered all of this, it, the Bible says his heart becomes like a stone. All right, And he dies 10 days later. And, and I'm not making this up. You know what happens? After he dies, David sends for Abigail, and she becomes one of his wives. All right, that's how, that's how it takes place. See, that's funny, right? We should read the Bible. It's in there. These stories are there. It, it's, a, it's, it's a tremendous story as to what takes place. But, but my point of bringing this story to us this morning is this idea right here. I, I don't know if this is the way that it normally happens. I don't know how many of us have an Abigail that we don't know that if she just rode down into our lives at the moment that we were about to do the dumbest thing that we could think of, that we would listen to him. As a matter of fact, we might look at Abigail and say, who in the world are you? Leave us alone. Oh, you're his, oh, you're, you're his wife? Good. I'm going to go kill him, and then I'm going to take you as well. How about that? How do you like that? That might be our response. We're going to go do what we want to do anyway. So I asked this question along with the other question that we started with is this. With whom are you having regular, intentional God-centered, spiritual conversations. With whom do we do that in our lives? You see, if in my life I have the propensity, the ability to do something as stupid as David was going to do right here, and you may say, oh, I would never do something that stupid. As a matter of fact, I don't even have 400 men that would go with me, and I don't have swords, all right? But you and I each have the ability to do something really stupid. Our minds work, and we think, oh, ooh, this is a really good idea. Let me, oh, ooh, let me keep this hidden. Nobody will know. I'll be okay. With whom? With whom are we having regular, intentional, God-centered, spiritual decisions? We believe that the living room environment is an environment that we can do that in. The living room, because we believe that life is better together. 
You see, we, as we do this open house, we look at the idea of small groups as this living room environment where we can sit down and we can have intentional conversations that are related to our walk with God. Why? To keep us from making the dumb decisions that, guess what, we have the capability of making in our lives. David was a pretty wise guy. He was about to make a really bad decision. One of the things that I find interesting is all through our Bibles, we find men and women that we view as great individuals of, of, of our scriptures, right? And yet we can look down through there and see dumb decisions that they made. And sometimes we think we're smarter, and yet we're capable of making dumb decisions as well. Who are the people around us that we would listen to that they would say, hey, 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 I, I see what you're doing. I see where you're headed. You need to turn. You need to get off of that path. We believe that living rooms are where that can happen. There are four attributes, all right, four attributes of, attributes of godly relationships. And I look at this story back here from, um, from David and Abigail together, but I want to jump forward and I want to look at some passages in the New Testament. And why do I want to look at some passages in the New Testament? Because Paul writes continually about the idea of how it is that we are to live our lives together, that we are, in, that we are people that are built to love one another. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, I believe it's 31 times we're told to one another, one another. That's one another commands that we are given. And we are told to love one another. We are told to serve one another. We are told to honor one another. We are told to encourage. We are told to build up. We are told to carry one another's burdens. We are continually throughout the New Testament encouraged to look out for one another. And how do we do that? You see, we believe that an environment like this, where we're all in rows, is a great environment to come and hear the teaching of the Word of God. But an environment like this is not an environment where you are challenged to change your life. It's not an environment where you are able to get a hold of other, where other people are able to build into your life. Rather, we believe that in circles, that is where those closer relationships take place, where people build into your lives. And that's the living room. Why? Because we sit down around the living room and we sit back comfortably and we relax and we're able to talk about what is taking place in my life. The difficulties that I'm having. I don't want everybody here to know that. But there's a handful of people that I trust. There's a handful of people that are around me that I can trust that I know have my best interests and they're not going to tell it to everybody in the world. You see, one of the things that we know about godly relationships is that they are rooted in Jesus. You see, these godly relationships, if you want to have a godly relationship, it needs to be rooted in Jesus. And Paul talks about this very idea in Ephesians 3, verse 16 and following. And, and if you have your Bibles, I'll, I'll have you turn there as well. They're up here on the screen as well. But Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, it says this right here. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with, the power, with power through his spirit in your inner being. What's Paul asking? He's saying, I want, I want to pray for you. I want to pray that in your inner being that you will be strengthened. How does he, how does he continue to do that? How, does it, how is it that we are going to do that? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love. I want you to just catch that word rooted there, right? I pray that you, being rooted, that we will be rooted and established. What is rooted? What's the idea of that? that we're planted in some good soil, right? 
Did you ever plant something in bad soil? My wife planted tomato plants for years and years and years next to our garage, and every year the tomato plants get bad. Why do they get bad? Because the soil there is bad. Our neighbors, we're going over and stealing nerves. They've got lots of great tomatoes. They built this upper, they built this bed. Don't tell them, okay? They built this bed and they brought in all that good soil, though, and you should see the tomatoes are growing. They're tremendous. We can't do that. They all turn black and they look hideous, and they're things that you use to throw at me. So I'm like, we got to be rid of those. All right, we don't want those there. All right, but, but rooted, if we are rooted in, in our lives, if we are rooted, right, we want to be rooted, we want to be ground, we want to be established. What do we want to be established in? In love. All right, that's where we need to be. We need to be established in love so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being in rooted and established in love. He wants us to be rooted there. He wants us to be established there. All right? Why? So that we may have power together. That continues on. May have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ is. Do you get the idea there? He wants us to be aware that the love of Christ is so wide. It is so high. It is so deep. It is, it's unfathomable. But he wants us to know that. And he wants us to be rooted in that. He wants our lives, he wants our relationships to be rooted in that. Why? Because we believe that being, doing life together will help you. It'll help you be rooted. It'll help you be established. What else do we believe about relationships? We believe that they are strengthened through serving. You see, we think that not only are we think that relationships are strengthened through serving others. All right, so Christ himself gave the apostles Right? He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers, Ephesians 4.11. I just jumped forward one, one passage there for you from chapter 3 to chapter 4. But he gave us these individuals. Why? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. What is he looking at? He's saying, I want the body of Christ to be built up, and I've given all these different individuals together. Why do I want them together? Why do I want you working together? Why do I want you being together in groups? Why do I want you coming together? Why? So that we can be built up together until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Are any of us there yet? Any of us here at this location yet where we have fully mature, we contain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ? Anybody here think this past week, yeah, that was me. I did that really well. (laughs) Yeah, we're still, exactly. We're all still working on it. Why are we still working on it? Because we're not there yet. So guess what? I need people. I need people that can encourage me, that can build me up, right, that can strengthen me and my service of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, relationships, what else do they do? They protect. They protect each other. What do we look to do in these, in, these, in these small groups? What do we want them to be? What do we want the people that are around us to be? We want to be individuals who are looking out for and protecting other people. Why do I say that? Because we don't have an Abigail coming down out of the hills with all the donkeys that we need telling us exactly what we need. We need people around us that are warning us, letting us know Hey, 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 careful. I see that. Be careful. I see where you're headed there. It's a dangerous spot. Be cautious. Paul continues on in uh, Ephesians 4, and he says these words here, 
Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Get the picture there. We won't be infants being tossed back and forth. If you saw a young child at the beach this year, uh, as a matter of fact, if you have a young child and you go to the beach or you go to any sort of water, where are, where are your eyes? You focus right on them, right? Laser focus. Where, where, whoa, 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 where, where's, where's that one? You're keeping an eye on them all the time when they're in the water. Why? Because you're nervous because of why? Because the waves might grab them. They may toss them back and forth and they may be blown here and there. In our spiritual walk, if we aren't cautious, if we aren't careful, if we don't have people around us building into us and who will care for us and care for you and care for me that are taking a look for us, that's us. We can be blown back and forth, winds, whatever. Oh, this way, that way. Oh, let me just do this. This is okay for me to do. Anything's okay for me to do. I, I love Jesus. That's good, right? And, and we're just blown back and forth. Instead, Paul continues, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, and that is Christ. Small group allows us that opportunity to get together, to talk, to have the truth told to us in love. And then finally, small groups, what do they do? They multiply. If we want to be followers of Jesus Christ, if we want to be planted deep, if we want to be rooted, if we want to be serving, if we want to be protected, we also want to be individuals who multiply. And in multiplication, Paul says these words right here as he continues on right there in that passage in Ephesians 4. He says, For him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I love this passage because um, this idea right here, the supporting ligament, all right? Um, my undergraduate degree is in sports medicine. I work as an athletic trainer. I take care of people who get injured every once in a while. I usually just tell them to rub dirt on it. They'll be okay. Four years of college, that's what I learned. And ice. There you go. All right, anyway, no, but ligament, what does the ligament do? It holds a bone to a bone, and guess what happens when it gets sprained, when it gets pulled, when it gets torn? Suddenly it hurts, and guess what? That person, their body, they can't walk, they can't move, they can't run. Or if it's in your shoulder, you can't do what you used to want to do, and suddenly your body is hurt, and it's lacking. It's not able to operate in the way that it was meant to operate. You see, this is what we are as a body, joined together. And when you're in a small group, guess what? When one part of that small group hurts, we all hurt. When you have a friend that is close to you, right? Think about it. When you have a friend that is close to you and they're hurt, what do you? You're hurt for them. And what do you do? You go and you try to help them. You try to be a part of them. You try to be an encouragement to them. You try to lift them up. Do you know that in a world where we have so much social media available out there, people today don't have that person as a matter of fact, the number has fallen over, I think it's the last 40 years, of people today, um, I think it was 40 years ago, If this is, I, hopefully I remember this correctly, I'll, 40 years ago, people would say that they had three to five people that they could call at three in the morning with a difficult situation if there was trouble. Today they say it's one. And do you know what the most common answer actually is? The most common is that they feel that they, feel that they have nobody that they could call, all right, no friend that they could call if they had an emergency at three in the morning. With all, of our inner, with all of this connectivity, with everything that is out there, social media, our social media lives, 
We want to make it look good, and sometimes we're hurt and we're broken, and I understand we don't always want it. Some people do. They want to spread it everywhere and let everybody know. Others, they don't. They try to keep back, hold a little bit private. But in the midst of all this ability, we hide behind social media. We hide behind electronics. We hide behind this. And what do we end up missing? We end up missing those tight relationships with other people around us. We want you to come. We want you to join in, be a part of a small group. Why? Because we believe, we believe that we are better connected. The living room idea is that idea that we, life is better connected. You see, in that environment, you get people that will encourage you. And I want to I use, a, hopefully this illustration um, goes well for it. But this past week, I, I was working, um, I, I work at Vestal High School. That, that's where I work. I take care of injuries there. And, and we, have a, we have a new uh, football coach this year, and most of them have worked together, but there's a new one there that he's a graduate of there, and he actually attends here at church. Um, he's Matt. He's right back here. And one of the things that I noticed about Matt this week is he really doesn't like football. He really doesn't care. Matter of fact, I'll bet he likes soccer. Trevor prefers soccer. He's about to come up here and tackle me. Um, one of the things that I noticed about Matt is when he sees the kids, he loves football. He gets excited. You know what? He gets his blood flowing, and he jumps up on his feet, and he notices something. And you know what, he know, what I noticed this week? Just one week. When somebody did something right, and they got it right, he's like, whoo, that's awesome. Is that kind of a correct description? Do I get that right? He's happy about that. He sees, you know what he does when they get it wrong? Ah, oh, shucks. I hope they get it right next time. Oh, they blew it that time. All right, no, not a big deal. No, you know what he does when they get it wrong? He's over there to try to encourage them and tell them, look, you move this way, you need to move this way, you need to keep an eye on this person right here. Why does he do that? Because he's passionate about football and he understands something. He has some young people behind him that he's there like, I think I can, I, I think I can teach them some stuff so that they can do well as a team together. In a living room environment, hopefully you have people around you that are able to look at you and they're able to say, you know what, um, I see something here, and I want to encourage you. I want to lift you up. I want to build you up in your life of Christ. And maybe there's somebody behind you that you're just like that. You're able to see them behind you, and you're there like, you know what? I, I, I think this right here. Deb and I did that in our life, in no, lives a number of years ago when our kids were young. We, saw a couple, we had a couple of families in the church that we attended there, and we saw the way they raised their family and their kids. And we look at them, and we're like, boy, oh, boy, Dave and Sue, how, how do you get your girls to sleep at night? You got your girls to sleep at night right away. How, how'd you do that? And guess what? We followed what they said, and all of a sudden, hey, we got kids that sleep all right through the night. It's awesome. We love it. Why? Because it was just something simple, not spiritual. It was something simple that we're there like, hey, this is life. It can help you out. There are people around you that are doing life, that are walking forward into a relationship with God, and guess what? They want to encourage you, but they don't know who you are. We want you to join into a small group so that you can be encouraged so that you can be built up. And guess what? You can build others up around you. The living room. Why? Because we believe that life is better connected. A small group is just a weekly living room conversation to help us figure out what to do in our daily life with what we heard on Sunday. Right? We talk about scripture. We talk about what God would have us to do. We want to create an environment where you can go and be a part of that. I would encourage you today, go back, take a look at the small groups. See if that's something that you couldn't join, something that you couldn't be a part of, something that you wouldn't want to be a part of. Why? To encourage others and to be encouraged and to be built up. 
to have those around you that are part of the faith of Jesus Christ that are investing in your life. A living room environment, an environment where we get to know people, where we get to do life together. Pray with me if you would, please. God, as we close our time this morning, Lord, we say thank you. God, thank you that you have called us. Thank you that you have brought us together this morning. Thank you that we are here for such a time as this. And Lord, we say thank you for stories that give us insight. Lord, stories of individuals. David, a giant in the faith, and yet here he was, Lord, ready to make the dumbest decision he could make. And you threw somebody into his life and changed it. Lord, we want to do that as a body of believers. We want to use the teachings of Paul that we are here to build into one another's lives. Why? Because the one another's are important, that we are to love one another, serve one another, care for one another, lift one another up, carry one another's burdens. Lord, encourage one another. God, help us in our lives. We thank you that there are people around us that love you, but there are people around us that are just like us as well, broken. Lord, we're just trying to figure this life thing out and do it well to honor you because we believe that living for you, honoring you in our lives makes our life better. And Lord, we say unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can even imagine or think, through the power that is at work in your son, Jesus Christ, through your church, we pray, Lord, that you may bless and encourage each one here this morning. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. We're going to sing one last song, so why don't you guys stand and join us.